last year when we sat down for this, we uh, we actually made up, we, we had a list of stuff that we already knew of the parallels between Joseph the Jew and Yeshua the Jew um, and the Messiah. So uh, we're still working on getting all the ones that you added to my list into the actual spreadsheet. But Mary has written them all down in spreadsheet fashion. They're just not in the spreadsheet. So I hereby join, we hereby join ourselves to the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, the Righteous One, who is the bread of life and the true light, the source of eternal salvation for all those who hear Him. Like a branch that remains in a vine, so we remain in Him, just as He also remains in the Father and the Father in Him, in order that they may remain in us. May the grace of the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abound to us, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Okay. And on page 17 in your sitter, if you happen to have it out, you can follow along. If you don't, don't sweat it. Bless you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the, fa- the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Here we go. I think we've blessed God. Can you bless God enough? Okay. I'd like us to begin this particular portion, uh, which is Miketz. It is the tenth portion of the uh, of the Torah. Um, but I'd like us to begin with the uh, Haftarah reading that is normally read. If this day did not fall in Hanukkah. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, which is amazingly difficult to have, evidently. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 15. If you have a chomash, I'd like you to learn how to use it. If you go to the last page of Miketz, the last page of this portion, it will tell you very clearly, if you have only a chomash, you actually have the Haftar reading in there. So you can actually go to the last page of Miketz, and it will say, the Haftar is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 15. Um, and it will give it to you. Tell you what page it is on the back of your in the back of your chumash. Okay. If you don't have a chumash and you have a Tanakh, uh, you get to flip pages. So there you go. It probably still tells you. There you go. First Kings chapter three and verse fifteen, all the way through the first verse of chapter four. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Hmm. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept. 
I laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and get half, give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He should be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living, living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. King Solomon was king over all Israel. Amen. Okay. I don't think that this portion... This is odd. You guys are behind me. I don't think that this portion was chosen by the sages because it begins with a dream. I think that's one reason. I'd like you to come up with, I don't know, five, maybe ten more. Give me one. There's the two sons, one one lives, one dies, just like the the baker and the cupbearer. Excellent. Okay, but the baker and the cupbearer were the last portion. But they were mentioned before. But they were mentioned, okay, so that's good. We're going to give you... Okay, three quarter credit. You're gonna have to come back with another one. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think it's Reuben says that he'll kill his son, and Judas Reuben does step up with the son and killing the son. We obviously have two sons that we're dealing with, right? Benjamin, and now Reuben's son is brought into play. Good, excellent. It's all about killing sons. Look at that. Okay, so you get no credit for that because you know, okay. Wisdom. Wisdom. Yes. Joseph is told by Pharaoh, I've been told you got the stuff it takes to tell me what the dream means. Joseph says, not so. I can't. But God can do that. His rightful recognition of where of, of, of where wisdom comes from is extraordinary. Um, here, um, does anybody know what the what the dream is? We're talking about what's the dream? God asks Solomon. Yeah, it it closes with Solomon going. It was a dream, but if you read right beforehand, you realize Solomon just had this dream where God comes to him and says, "What do you want? Ask for anything you want." And Solomon says, "I'm young." I need wisdom. And God was pleased with his response and says, because you didn't ask for, and he lists out a few things, which are great uh, to know, um, he does grant him wisdom and all the stuff he didn't ask for. Excellent. Yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> along the lines of the wisdom thing, you know, that last statement there in verse 28, uh, it saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer, yeah. right, to administer justice. 
And so I think you see parallel with Yosef because Yosef is administering the affairs yes. of Pharaoh with justice for the whole world. Wisdom, for the whole, right. Exactly. And I think that's where the, the actual last thing is just the first person. That's why he's tied into it. Yeah, because King Solomon's king for all Israel, and Joseph. And Joseph is over the whole world. Yeah. Good. 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 Yes. All of Egypt. Yes. And you see in both cases the people recognize that it was God. Because yes. Pharaoh says the same thing. We see the spirit of God is in you. That's right. Who else could we find? Yes, Christine. It's maybe a long shot, but maybe uh, recognition. There's a lot of recognition here. She recognizes it's not her son, and the other woman is trying to deceive her that it is her son. So there's like this. It is your son. It's something to make like um, you try to make it look at something else. Identity. Joseph is hiding basically, but yeah. he is able to recognize the brothers. So good. Good. Excellent. Yeah, that I, hidden identity thing. Yes. Good. Excellent. Good. So it's all about killing the killing the sons. It's identity. It's wisdom. It's king over all the earth. And um, everybody's heard about this righteous judgment and administering of justice. Good. Anything else? That was great. Really good. 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 You guys can pay extra. You can go sit over here. <laughs> anything? 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 Because the fact that my comment was... I knew she didn't like the fact she got no credit. Did you notice that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, go ahead, sweetie. I'm trying to make up here about more sons dying. He's yes. lost his son has died. He's worried another one will die. Yes. Just say we had a brother who's gone. He died. You know. Yeah. Sons being killed. Yep. It's, it's, it's we, cool. we all it's, believe there's it. at least five sons yeah. here that are it, died it's over the top yeah. Yeah. you're right you're right it is it's all of, it's all there about sons well, I need to one up you there's also focus on who the mother is and as we see in with the story of Joseph he's all focused on well giving Benjamin this extra credit and well why and it's because of who his mother is right? oh so uh, morning back to you <laughs> that is good that is good Jen Benjamin is singled out by Joseph because he's the only one that is of the same mother as him. That's good. That's good. So we got some mom stuff going. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that was the Haftarah portion. So now we move into Genesis chapter 41. And again, I want to help you with your homage. Many of you have homashim. Um, but I've noticed that a lot of folks are unable to tell me where the huff, uh, where the uh, the aliyot splits. Now I don't care if you know Hebrew or not. I would ask you if you're in a chumash right now to look in the right hand margin of the right hand page and just let your eye travel down, and you will find three letters: shin, nun, and I think a, a yod that are out in the margin, away from all the text. That's the word Shani, and it means second. Okay? And if you're following along, you'll find that somewhere around verse 15 or so. The problem is not finding the marking, because that's relatively easy to split now down the margin. But yeah. we're not really figuring out what verse it is when you're looking at the key. Yes, I understand that. I understand that today, we're not trying to teach you how to count in Hebrew. All we want to do is make it clear to you that the that the Bible does tell you where the portion where the aliot are. So I want you to know that because I tell you what, before I could count in Hebrew, I can't count in Hebrew. But before I could figure out what number it was, I was able to at least kind of guess where it was going to end up. So Karen, do you see yours? Do you see your Shaney? All right. Now, if you see that Shaney in the side there, you should see that somewhere in that line. 
is a tet and a vav. A tet and a vav. That's the number 15. In the biblical, like, right. They normally, like in, like, normally in Hebrew, they will use a actual number, like, so yeah. Arabic yeah. this is a uh, system in the Torah. Yeah. So, so you got it? That's where it starts. Now, finding out exactly what verse it is, we'll do that some other time. But that's Shani. The next one is Shlishi. That's third. And so if you flip the page, keep looking at that right margin, you should see two Sheens. Um, Shlishi. I mean, a Sheen, I'm looking for it on mine because it's not on this one. Alamed, Sheen, and a Yod. Or you twenty-eight if you study. Come on. Yeah, that's um, yeah. All right. After Shlishi, what are you going to find? Revi'i, right? Revi'i. Next page. You should have Revi'i. A Reish, a uh, Veit, Yod, Ayin, Yod. All right. Everybody, find the Revi'i. Okay. You see it? Got it? Karen, you okay? I am. All right. So as long as you know, because what we, I mean, many of you who who, uh, who do the Arab Shabbat blessings, you are reading about Yom HaShlishi. That's on the sixth day, right? And well, Shlishi, you should be able to find Shlishi here. It's the sixth one. It's the sixth reading, right? So you just keep going, and you'll see these. It's only seven. Is that ordinal or cardinal? Shishi. 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 Right. 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 Yomashishi. Right. But is it ordinal or cardinal? You count. It's cardinal, right? So these are ordinal numbers. First, second, third. Ordinal. Okay. So these are just seven ordinal numbers. Deal with it. Okay. So there we go. All right. We're done with that. Right back in the beginning. So you want you want to try and do that two year deal? Sure. Yeah. Um, Starts out after two years. Right. So now it happened at the end of two forty years. The Pharaoh of Truman holding and standing by the Nile. So, and I think in the uh, if you've got a, a stone, it says two years to the day. Right. Right. So, which is always kind of interesting language because it's pointing something out. So, one thought that kind of that kind of occurred to me uh, on this is okay. Why why the two years, right? And it's to the day that two year two years prior on this day is when the cupbearer was released from prison and restored to his position, and on his way out. You know, um, Yosef says, "Hey, remember me." You know, when you stand before, before Pharaoh, which of course he didn't until we get to this day, two years later, where you know Pharaoh has his has his dream and he can't. You know, everybody can't interpret it, and Cupbearer says, "Oh, well, there was this Hebrew dude that was a slammer with me, and, and he was pretty good at this kind of stuff." So, and so he remembers Yosef. They call Yosef forward, and on this day, Yosef is exalted. So he goes from prison, which, by the way, the word in Hebrew is is, is the word bore, which is the same word used for the pit that is that is that his brothers threw him in. So this whole time, you know, he he was thrown in a in a bore by his by his brothers and then sold into slavery, and then he's 
continued in a you know, small small stop at Potiphar's house, uh, but then he's he's continued in a war for a number of years. So he's been in a pit. Uh, uh, you know, I, he's he's kind of at the at the lowest point, as it were, and. Then he's suddenly exalted, you know, catapulted to the top of the to the top of the food chain, right? Um, on this day, so two in this this two year period in between, right? So the thought to me was, if we know that Yosef is like Messiah, is a picture of Messiah, then from from Messiah's point of suffering when he's in the pit. To his to the point when he will be truly exalted publicly. King over all the earth. Could it be this two years is kind of an allusion to maybe two thousand years? Give me give take, right? So I don't know. It was just kind of a thought that occurred that occurred to me. I like it. So I like. And it. interestingly enough, tradition holds that this day is Rosh Hashanah. Yes, right. Which yeah, it's feast of trumpets. First Thessalonians four. The king is heralded and coronated. Yeah. That's right. They tie that into one of the psalms. I think it's a psalm for Thursday. Um, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but basically it's the, it's the day. Um, it's the one we do during the week. During the week, but if you pray the Thursday Psalm of the Day, yeah. it's the um, that one it talks about. It, it has a language alluding to Rosh Hashanah, and it ties it in with Joseph. So that's the tradition is that this is Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Second Aliyah. Actually, at the end of the first Aliyah, uh, Greg made mention of it. I, I, I'm just looking for a little remez here. This cupbearer refers to Joseph as a Hebrew lad. I don't think we should just jump past that. I, I may be wrong, but the last time somebody was called a Hebrew, it was when Lot got snatched. So you've got Lot in trouble, and one person, only one person, is told to go tell the Hebrew. Now, we got this one guy, just one guy, got a guy in trouble, and it's the Hebrew. Yes, um, let's take the lady. Oh, at the sages, we're saying everything the cupbearer says is totally derogatory. Hebrew, youth, and slave. Hebrew, youth, and slave. He was a youth. It's what he calls Joseph. He was a Hebrew youth, so like this boy doesn't know anything. Hebrews are already offensive to him. Absolutely. And he's a slave. Wow. Why is that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something to look at. Another take, though, is the fact that they still recognized him, even if they intended it to be derogatory, they still recognized him as a Hebrew, which is to say he maintained his character and his halakha exactly. even in the middle of all of the persecution. That's exactly right. So, he he did he he was always a Hebrew, you know. Even later, when he's dressed like an Egyptian and looks like an Egyptian, or whatever, walks like an Egyptian, uh, he he still holds on to his Hebrew identity. Yes. Even to the point where, you know, the rest of Pharaoh's court still know they, they still, still know he's they still know. I, I think it's also I, I see a lot of a lot of hands hanging. Um, I, I think it's also noteworthy that how many Hebrews were there when the slave that got away from the, the capturing Lot party, how many Hebrews were there? 
Right? He's going to get the one Hebrew. He's going to get Abraham, the Hebrew. He's the only one. This guy, I remember this Hebrew Ute. He was a slave. But he still, as far as we can tell, he now is the only Hebrew. Right? There's a singularity there that we should recognize. Okay, I saw a female hand. Yes. Well, I was going to ask the question. If he, if he maintained his Talakah, how come he says later on he practiced divination and also they didn't recognize him because he, he was dressed like a Egyptian? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, those are good questions. Um, let's wait until we get to where he's actually responding there. Um, I, I think it's more of a, a rhetorical question that he says to the guys. Don't you know a man like me practices divination all the time? That kind of thing. Um, I think he was alluding to his reputation as being able to foretell the future because that's the the item he was he was renowned for, right? Especially with Pharaoh. But I don't think he was condoning it necessarily. But it's a good point. Was uh, was you? That was you. You. Yes. You. Then you. Go. And it's also interesting to see the multi-generational faithfulness. Those two sons ooh, ooh, I like were born this. And, and raised in Egypt. But yes. Every Friday night, you bless your sons that they would grow up to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. So even though they're in the midst of an exile, they're still faithful. Yeah, and it is one of the ways that we know that he kept the halach, that he he raised his children to understand and know the covenant that they had with. Uh, with the God of Israel. It's good. It's good. And the sages actually take off of that and they say that Asenath bears the sons to Joseph. And the idea that they say is that, in a sense, like she submitted their training to him. Right. But also to dovetail on what Morgan said, I think that this again reinforces God's sovereignty because this, I mean, this is a servant coming to Pharaoh to talk about the guy. And he basically makes it look as bad as possible. I mean, if Pharaoh had any, like, real sense, he would have thought, great, I can use this guy and throw him right back in again. He's got no power, he's got no abilities, he's got, you know, he's just uh, a slave. And instead, Pharaoh elevates him. In fact, the, the sages go so far as to say that Pharaoh has to kind of converse with his aides because it's like, this is going to look really bad, but we've got to somehow, you know, talk him up so that way people will respect him because... I mean, Pharaoh has to put his reputation on the line. So I think that we see again, see God's sovereignty here. It doesn't matter how badly they spoke of him. God's plan was going to happen anyway. Good. Yes. Um, the sages said in the Shabbat that um, there's there's a verse in Ecclesiastes 4, um, which I remember reading during Sukkot. I can't remember the exact wording of it. But Solomon's talking about how... Um, you know, you you live, he's a king, so you live, you build your kingdom and stuff, but you don't know what the man who follows you is going to do with that. And it actually specifically talks about he comes out of prison to be king. And so you say, this is obviously Joseph. What other man came out of prison and was a king? Good, good. And of course, it, it just caused them to come up with this amazing parallel and double Messiah figure with Messiah Ben Joseph and Messiah Ben David. Good. Other comments? Okay. Um, so that was the uh, the back end there. The uh, If you read the Men of Torah, Greg uh, did, a, I, I think, a great job of uh, going on a last verse in uh, the first reading that uh, appearance does matter. And uh, we represent one mightier than we. 
Okay. I think we're uh, we're pretty clear on the cows. Although it is a play on words. It's a play on words. Mm-hmm. Help us with that. Well, because Pharaoh in Hebrew is actually Paro. Right. Yeah. And then the cow is Para. Mm-hmm. It's both same. So it's like the Peter it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you think you think Joseph was kind of giggling from time to time as he see, Pharaoh. You dreamed about cows? <laughs> no, no. I'm a, that's funny though. I mean, you, yeah, yeah, but yeah, Pharaoh probably didn't get it. Well, back in much of the, the Fertile Crescent region, cows were were worshipped, worshipped. especially in Egypt, where we see the golden calf. Um, because is there? Prime usefulness, like they, they can be used for leather, milk, yeah, everything, every, every part of it. Every yeah. part of the cow can be used. So, um, so really, it kind of makes sense that they would call the leader the big cow. cow. Right? How about that? <laughs> you know, it's kind of okay. The big cheese, the big cow. That's it. Yeah. Okay. In uh, chapter forty-one, in verse thirty-three. And now, Pharaoh should select a person who is understanding and wise and appoint him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh should enact that he appoint officials over the land and prepare the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them collect all the food from these coming seven good years and let them gather the grain under Pharaoh's control, food guarded in the storehouses. The food that is stored will thus remain as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will be in the land of Egypt so that the land will not be destroyed by the famine. What did he just do? More than giving a solution. More than advice. He just created a position. He did. He created but a position. He didn't, he didn't necessarily create it for himself. Oh no, I mean, you're right. I'm not saying he did. I think looking at this, it's, it's just that Joseph was so, um, he wasn't a true. Yes. And he was incredibly generous with his information because you really could have twisted this into he an could have milked for himself. Like, hey, I've got Consultative a basis. But, um, come but see me in the prison. I'll tell you what you should do if you get me out of prison. Yes. But it's like, he's like, here's the problem, and here's exactly what you should do. Here's now, I think this is important. I think we should note that he created a position. He did not say, you need to fill. You know, you need a guy that can do this. <clears throat> if you're looking around for somebody, I know just the guy. He didn't do any of that. But to Juliana's point, remember the counsel that he gave the cupbearer. Yeah, it's, you know, this dream, three days. In three days, something amazing is going to happen. Oh, Mr. Baker, you too. Three days now. I don't know how much money you brought in here, but... See me after class. It was none of that. He spilled all the beans right on the front end. And I think it's consistent with the character that we see prior to this. In every regard, in every respect, he is so totally open, so totally honest, he's never scheming to work and help God. Now, I am far from anybody to say that you should sit on the couch and just pray and God will provide. I, I'm not that way. If anybody knows me, you do need to pray. But you also need to get your butt off the couch. But this guy does never, even in opportunities where you would think that he would kind of at least plow a little ground, he does not. 
he is, you know what? He says it to his brothers in the next portion. You did this for bad. God meant it for good. It's all good. We're working. Just uh, one comment on the baker and the cupbearer, since you mentioned them. Um, just uh, kind of another uh, another allusion here to to the messiahship that Joseph represents, because the cup uh, the the baker bakes what bread bread. The cupbearer bears what wine. So you have this bread and wine picture in these two individuals, mm. and three days later, the bread's broken, right? The baker's hung. I like it. Uh, I like so it. There's it's amazing to me that you find these all the time. But that is good. That's good. He's, he owns the Messianic Illusion book. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's not, he's, not, he's not selling himself. I know, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's just spilling it all out, just like Joseph. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Very good. Yes, sir? I just think, um, you know, even that, when he is describing after he interprets the dream and he describes, like, this position that needs to be created, I think it's just so cool because, yeah, you're right. It, he was so humble and he didn't really create a position for himself. But I think, again, it is such a demonstration of God's sovereignty in yeah. this case because he's one of the few examples where he doesn't, he, it, at least scripture doesn't record his deeds or actions other than just saying that he was righteous. So we just assume that he was doing righteous deeds, but doesn't say like like with Jacob, you know, how he prays, but then he prepares his family to yeah, serve yeah. and all that. He's just, he's just going about his life and the favor is just so apparent and so evident. And it's neat how it's always worked through dreams because that's something that we have no control over whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's another just demonstration of how everything that happens to him is because God willed it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important that we remember that everything we read about this guy seems to be whenever he opens his mouth, he's blessing God. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form, he is all about being God's man. He's not just some schmo. He's God's man. And, you know, there's not a whole lot about the other Joseph in the Bible. But apparently, it's the same deal. He's all about being God's man. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's about her. It's not about me. It's about the child. You know? And again, you got the same dream deal going. Yes, ma'am? Sorry. I think with um, so many pictures of the Messiah in Joseph, it's also as he didn't create a, a place for him in that in that position or you know opportunity of the um, job security. I was thinking of also the opposite, like the anti-Messiah, who would I thought of Haman, mm. yeah. how he said, "This is what you should do," and and he kind of built it up, That's good. kind of good. wanting to be yes, that. kind of stepping into the role right off the bat, and in fact. His whole persona appears to be the scheming, conniving, you know, even when he's sitting down with his friends or his wife, it's all the scheming and conniving. How can I maneuver? Who could the king want to bless or honor other than me? I mean, my come on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah that kind of thing. That's good. Good parallel or, or just a position. Um, that's interesting that you bring that up because the sages traditionally contrast Joseph with Ahasuerus. Um, really? Because Joseph sent out uh, appointed officers to get grain and mm-hmm. stuff. And Ahasuerus uh, sent out guys to get women. And okay, so 
So, so women so, are like brain so we'll Yeah, what are you trying to say, Pete? <laughs> it is a good contract. He gets ruined. But traditionally, it says in chapter 10, he levied taxes. Right. So they, they say that he got poor because he went out looking for women. But... Joseph didn't because he wasn't looking for women, he was looking for rain. That's the traditional okay. interpretation. Yeah. Not that I like rain or Yeah, or that or that going after any woman might cause you to be poor. Yeah. Okay. That's, I like I like the parallel. Yeah. Don't go there guys. Don't go there. And moving on. And we move on, thank you. Okay, so I'm um, I'm at forty one thirty seven. Just as we uh, oh, I beg your pardon. Yes, ma'am. Um, well, oh, too slow. Kind of All right, so I'm at forty. <laughs> On a different note, um, let's go back to verse eleven. Uh, we dreamt a dream on the same night. I and he, each one according to the interpretation of his dream, we dream. And the word interpretation is in there a couple times. Now interpretation, you know, we read that and it kind of seems like it's like, well, that's your interpretation, that's my interpretation. It's kind of a, a subjective, right? Interpretation, the word here is kithron, which means solution. In modern Hebrew, it just uses solution. So... Yeah, I'm thinking a math deal. There is only one solution. There is only one interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. Sages actually go off of that and say, if I recall, if I understand them correctly, the implication is almost that the things happen as Joseph said, not that Joseph necessarily defined exactly what happened. It's almost like, it's almost like God used what he spoke. It's almost like God, like. It, it, and obviously God's sovereign and he knows all things it's almost like God based his plans off of what Joseph said what happened in yeah. a weird kind of way it's not really what happened but just emphasizing the power of words there yeah. and I think it's intriguing um, as you kind of get into this when it talks about uh, Pharaoh goes on and says well I will be over everything and you'll but you'll really be in charge basically and I, only the throne will be above you and he puts food under Joseph's command because in the last time that Joseph was in this situation with Potiphar, Potiphar doesn't concern himself about anything except his food. Mm. And this time, Pharaoh's like, it's like the next level. It's like, I'm technically Pharaoh. I noticed that. That's good. But you're in charge of literally everything. everything. Now. Huh. Especially. That's good. That's good. So, I mean, again, it goes back to, I think, God's sovereignty and, and our, our need for patience because Joseph could have looked at the last situation and go, Okay, it's not quite what I was thinking, but it's, it's good enough. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm on yeah. top of the Potiphar's house type thing, and that wasn't God's ultimate plan. His ultimate plan was that Joseph would be in charge of everything. Yeah, that's good. I'm uh, I'm focusing on the definite article with the interpretation with what you said, and I know that Pharaoh says nobody can give me a an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that's good. Very good. Good point. Very good. I like that. Uh, the bread thing. Good. Both of you. So, so you sit in opposite each other with the bread deal. The sages do say that you know, his people came up with all kinds of different ones and he just didn't like him. He didn't like them, yeah. Um, interpretations, which, you know, makes sense because how is he obviously doesn't know what it means. So the people are giving him interpretations and he just doesn't like what they're saying. No, no, it just doesn't it's feel south. It doesn't feel south. Exactly. The, the, it's really interesting the way they play with, if you look at the plurals and singulars in the Hebrew, jo- Pharaoh seems to realize that the dreams are one because if I recall correctly at some point he refers to the dream in singular yeah. 
And but when it says that the interpreters are coming to try and give him ideas what they mean, it says they could not interpret them, and it's in plural. It's almost like they couldn't wrap their minds around the idea that it was the same dream. So in some ways, it's sort of like the, with Daniel and the king of Babylon, and he's like, well, hey, you tell me what my dream is, then you can interpret it. It's almost the same deal. It's like, these guys are obviously wrong, because I know it's, it's got to be something different than what they're saying. Yeah. The, uh, the, sages, uh, the sages indicate that uh, the necromancers, or, or whatever these guys are, the pharaoh called on, uh, their play on it was they knew that the seven-year deals, the cows and the years were seven years and all that, but they just couldn't put it into one sequential deal. That's that's what the sages were saying in the, in the, the one I was reading, because they just couldn't figure out how could this all happen simultaneously. It, 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 it can't work like that. And they couldn't figure out sequentially how it could happen. So, yeah, interesting stuff. And that again goes back to the sovereignty of God. You know, he's Pharaoh a dream that's just complex enough that the smartest people there have no answer for it. And, and yet, as you pointed out, seems to give him some sense of how it's got to work together. Yeah. So when he hears falsehood, it, yeah. it just doesn't ring. So. I, I really like the, um, the, the Hebraicism that you see here, because um, in Hebrew, when you want to really emphasize or underline something, you repeat it. Mm-hmm. Like the two words are juxtaposed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. next to each other. And that's exactly what God does. When he gives Pharaoh the stream, he gives him the same dream. Twice. Speak, twice. To, and Joseph says that's because it's going to happen quickly. It's like God is emphasizing it in a way. But it's... Truth is established with two or three witnesses. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's good. It's good. Okie dokie. It's interesting as far as... Um, there's a lot of sevens in here. Um, of course, in seven years. But even the word abundance is the exact same word. Sheva, you know, we mean, mean seven, but um, in in Hebrew, um, Sava is abundance. Same source. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm in uh, the third reading, and um, I'm uh, picking up in verse 44. In the uh, Gutnik, Pharaoh said to Yosef, I am Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and I hereby decree that without your permission, no man may raise his hand to hold a weapon or his foot to ride on a horse in the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh named Yosef Tzfanat Panech, explainer of hidden things, and he gave him Asnat, a daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. For a wife, and Yosef went forth as a ruler over the land of Egypt. Yosef was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Yosef then left Pharaoh's presence and visited the entire land of Egypt. Yes. Um, the the name that Pharaoh gives him in verse forty-five, Zephanatzpanach, uh, which means you know the revealer of hidden things yes. you know which that is another picture of the messiah right the you know he knows the hidden thoughts messiah yeah. will come and reveal all of the hidden yeah. things of the torah and so forth and so on right so i mean that's that's just another illusion right another there illusion. Be good correct i think it's cool that it's it mentions his age because the last time it mentioned his age he was 17 yeah and it's neat because 
if you the, if you subtract those, it's 13 years, which is traditionally the amount of time before a a man is becomes like the son of the commander, everybody, yeah. and and you know he takes on all yeah. of these these responsibilities. Exactly, and that's exactly what happens to him here. Now that he's, I mean, he's got a wife, and he's like the viceroy of Egypt. All these amazing things happen to him, right? Like thirteen years after. Yeah. Here's here's a little parallel. Think about this. Um, how old was Yeshua when he began his public ministry? Thirty. Would you then say just 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 to grab an illusion that before he started his public ministry, he stood before the King of all the earth. He stood before his father, and then in his public ministry, he visits the entire land of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got something there. He started that at thirty. So, you know. Yeah, and I think like that. One, one other thing, kind of, kind of with Messiah, that I, that I think is kind of cool. Um, the word here twice, it talks about, um, in verse 45, it says, Joseph emerged, and it shows up later, Joseph left Pharaoh's presence. If my Hebrew is correct here. The word is Yitzah, which I believe is the same root as like um, the word that's used for the Exodus, Litziat, Mitzrayim. So it's like the idea mm. that Joseph is having his own Exodus. He's coming out of slavery. But by the, decree, by the decree of Pharaoh, no less, to then become wealthy and prosperous and successful and fulfill God's promises for him, which is just like the children of Israel. What's cool with that with the tie into Messiah is the idea that um, it, I think the sages talk about that, the principle that God is in exile with his people. Yes. And so you think about Messiah, too, um, is also, he is a foreshadowing of the exile for the people of Israel. His suffering, in a sense, um, like that's the whole idea of Isaiah 53 is both a reference to Messiah and also and to Israel, Israel sure. so he is intimately acquainted with his own people's suffering and in the same way that he was elevated and exalted so they will be as well and I, and I, I don't know and just, just like Moses too yeah and I think for me for all of us I think it's also very powerful to see that God brings a personal exodus here that God's God's involved in more than just his grand cosmic scheme but he also is very much pointed to the individual as well amen yes ma'am What's kind of cool there is God's also confirming his identity as distinct from not just being a king of Egypt because the word here he passed through the entire land of Egypt is Ya'avor, which is Hebrew. It's where we get Hebrew from. It's passing and crossing over. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Huh. All right. Could have just said he walked through the land, mm-hmm. not when he passed. No? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at verse 51 with... Uh, the naming of his two sons. Yes. Yep. So, uh, you know, of course, we know that Manashe and Ephraim. And the reason that the reason he names the firstborn Manashe is he says in verse fifty-one, for he said, "God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household." And you know, when you kind of first read that in the English, you're like, well, wait a minute, how did he forget his father's household? Because obviously he recognized his brothers and inquired about their father, and you know, uh, so he, he hadn't forgotten his household, but but the the idea here is really that he had made him forget, uh, forget all his suffering and forgive yeah. all that his household had done against him. Mm-hmm. Which is again just a beautiful, beautiful picture. picture of Messiah because what does he do when he's hanging on the tree? Father, forgive them, right? Yeah, yeah. So Manashe, the name is a, is a, is a picture of the forgiveness of of, of Messiah towards his people, um, and 
because of the suffering and the things that they perpetrated against him, that is what caused him to be fruitful, right? Just that's what he tells them later on next week. We'll read right. that you know what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And so his suffering is what produces the fruit of mm-hmm. So you you know so you have this real really I like beautiful it. picture in the names of the of the sun. Mm-hmm. I do like it. I like it. Yes. Just in case anybody missed it from the couple portions before, or even the last portion about Potiphar's daughter, I thought it was the sages tie that together and say that it's Potiphar. Yeah, and and they're saying that that's the same person that same guy. Yeah, um, priest of Potiphar. Bone. Yeah, and they were saying um, the reason that because you know. Potiphar didn't actually kill Joseph or do anything like really bad to him. He just put him in prison, which is, I mean, the charge that was against him should have been worthy of death, but he just did that. And the sages were saying because his daughter came to him and said, look, Joseph is actually telling the truth. I, I saw it and everything, and, and he don't, don't kill him, don't do anything to him. And because of her righteous act of sharing and witnessing and testifying to Joseph, she is then merited to be able to marry mm. a very righteous mm. man later mm. on. Mm. Mm. Sort of a Rahab type story. Yeah. Mm. You've got to leave it to those sages. Yes. Actually, I think. Yes. Another Messiah point. We've got to make noise if you're Sorry. behind me. Another <laughs> Messiah point um, that's kind of cool is uh, in verse 55, it says, When all the land of Egypt hungered, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. So Pharaoh said to all Egypt, Go to Joseph, whatever he tells you, you should do. And it just reminds me of the situation in Cana, where the servants come to Mary and they say, mm-hmm. uh, We have no wine. Kind of like having no bread. Yeah. Yeah. That's the wine and the bread thing again. Um, <laughs> we've got nothing here to drink. And Mary says, Well, go talk to my son, and whatever he tells you, do it. You do it. That's and again, it's, almost, it's like. It's a great parallel. It's almost like, I wonder when John was. I don't kinda, think we had that one last year. And we didn't have the bread and the wine thing. So let's remember to add those. If, just, if you know, John's writing these down, I almost wonder if like he, he puts those words yeah, in there. Deliberately. It's like, this should help you remember somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, you should see this. Uh, um, go ahead. Uh, on verse 50 just going back to to Asenath and, and the, the, the daughter so the question arises well, why would Yosef who's this righteous you know Zadik in Hebrew why would he marry you know um, Gentile right son of a pagan priest kind of thing right yeah um, and uh, and of course, you know the sages say, "Well, she converted." Of course, right? Of she course, yes. Yeah, so even though, you know, I personally believe in formal conversion back then, but certainly to the extent she came into his household, it's reasonable to believe that she took on his yes. his customs, right? She joined herself to him. So in that sense, and she his did, faith, right? sure. she did convert. But but again, if we if we kind of continue with this metaphor of of Yosef being a picture of the Messiah. Then his bride is this per, this this picture of this one from the nations that joins to him. Yeah, right? I like it. So yeah. you have that whole kind of motif here, I think, as well. Yeah, that's good. Very good. All right, so I'd like to read you this paragraph from fifty-three to fifty-five out of the Gudnik, just to get your. Uh, your take on it, it's, I actually thought it was comical the first time I read it, but um, it certainly uh, 
it's it's from the uh, from the sages' perspective. And the seven years of plenty that were in the land of Egypt were finished. The seven years of famine began, as Yosef had said. There was famine in all the lands, but throughout the land of Egypt there was bread. Then all the accumulated grain rotted except for Yosef's, so the entire land of Egypt was hungry. When Yosef demanded that the people become circumcised if they wanted grain, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. But Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Yosef, do whatever he'll tell you. (laughs) So I, I thought, well, that's comical, right? The sages have thrown in that circumcision thing there, you know, and uh, oh, they they play it for pages, for pages. You know, it's it's not only that. It says he's been telling them that they need to be circumcised since when things were in plenty, but they didn't want to listen to him then. Well, now that things are tough, he's making it clear you got to do this. You're not going to get any grain. So, um, I think it's true. Well, there it is. It's true. So, what I'd like to hear is, why do you suppose the sages would would stick this in there? Why would they have that perspective? Peter, why don't you start us out? Why do I think? Well, why don't you continue on the thought that you were just going to go through? Uh, well, I just read about the Gematria, because the Gematria for you should do it whatever he says to do is equal to circumcision. So I, I think that's probably true. They, their reasoning, um, it said, was so that when the brothers finally came down and they're circumcised, it wouldn't be like outcasts or anything because it would have already been like seven or so right. years right. and everyone would be used to everyone being circumcised. Right. And further, the sages were concerned that the people would not that the Jewish people, when they got there, would forsake circumcision. If it was an accepted practice, they would, you know, they would continue it. So, and the midrash, which is where that quote's coming from, yeah. is really interesting. But Joseph is trying to get the Egyptians to humble themselves because uh, he's with the elite of the Egyptian society. Yeah. He sees everything and realizes that they just need to be humbled. And once once that happens, humbling the flesh first. Uh, is you know, a precursor to humbling the spirit as well. Cool. So that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. So the sages have some pretty good motives. Tampering with the scripture to throw in a mouth, you know. Yeah. It might have been a better way to do that. Hunger is traditionally the punishment for sexual immorality. So Joseph wanted to remove their lust. So, so they wouldn't be as hungry. Yeah. That's, okay. That's, but that's traditionally, uh, it's because. Because there's going to be a famine. You writing this down? I am. Yeah. Hunger is the... uh, (laughs) Sexual immorality leads to hunger. So you should be certain... I understand it makes sense. God bless the sages for wanting to fit it all together. Okay. So the brothers show up. The brothers go down. Something really cool about Midrash also talks about that Joseph is not only feeding Egypt, he's feeding the rest of the world, including his enemies. He's been raised and he's been taught that, you know, your brothers, your descendants are going to inhabit all of Canaan. Yeah. But yet, the, uh, all of the enemies that Joshua is having to kick out of the land, Later Joseph on, is feeding. He's feeding. And, and he knows that, but he knows that now isn't the time to 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 you know to make these people starve because they, I think this is again seeing the progressive um, 
maturity of he's, he's trusting God's time and knowing that you know, I am supposed to feed the, the entire world, including those people who will eventually be my enemies. Yes, so that that's was, good. That's excellent. Let, let God work it out. Right? Okay. So, who can um, who can give me the um, the sequence here? Brothers come down. What happens? Start us off. We'll move around the room. No commentary. Just give me, just give me the facts. Just the facts. Brothers come down. They see Joseph, but they don't recognize him. They stand in line. Get up to the front. See Joseph. Just the facts. That's not, that's not facts in my Bible. Yeah. 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 It's obvious. It's right there. Um, so, um, they met at time to right. Look, no line today. Here we go. Yeah, right up to the front. Um, it was on Christmas Day. That's right. Yeah, so, uh, so they want they want grain. They don't recognize who Joseph is. What happens? Spies. He says they're spies. Now, I thought it was peculiar. Their response. If somebody said, Greg. I think you're a spy. What would you say? Of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. I picked a guy in the NSA. I didn't mean to. I, I didn't mean to do that. He said, yeah. Okay. What are you talking about? What's the obvious most... I'm not a spy. I am not a spy. They don't say that. I've never been a spy. I've never been a spy. You know, I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, as you're just asking for trouble. A spy? No. I've never been a spy. Yeah, and so now, now I'm a spy. But I wasn't a spy. That's right, spy. Okay, I was a spy now, but I'm not a spy now. Why? I mean, it's like they open up the door, you know? I, I'm, I've never been spies is actually the last thing they say. The first thing they say is, I'm going to buy food. And then they follow it up with, we're all the sons of one man. But what does that have to do with anything? But, keep, but, but think about this. <laughs> they never split up sons amongst the, the, amongst the, the spies? There's a, there's a family story here that deals with spies that didn't turn out very well. Yes. You know, so that the spy thing. I mean, you know, when he drops the spy word, I can just imagine that's like, you know, <laughs> playing off of that. If you think about it, he says you're you are all spies. But interestingly enough, um, you've got ten brothers there. So you have the, the ten, ten spies. spies. Ten. But so they're like the bad spies. But then, interestingly enough, also on top of that is the fact that one of the only good one of the only good spies was Joshua, who was from Ephraim, who was Joseph's son. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's not there yet. He's not there yet. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I, I just. I just think it's funny. Yeah. We've never been spies. We're not spies. We're sons of one man. Unbelievable. Okay. All right. So we are. We're down in forty-two twenty-one ish. Oh. Oh. But just yes, please. Just before we leave that point, I mean, I know we've said this, but in verse seven, Joseph saw his brothers. He he recognized them. Yes. But he disguised himself. Right. And then he speaks to them, work it, work and then he says in verse 8, but Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. So there's this repetition, right? This of recognition. 
Uh, he knows them. They don't know him. He's disguised himself from them, right? And, and he's letting it go on. Right. That's important when you look at that parallel between Joseph and Yeshua. Right. Yeshua evidently allows the charade to go on. I mean, to the point where you actually have some... I mean, We've had Orthodox Jews tell us very recently, Yeshua never claimed to be God. That's a pretty big disguise. He did. But you see the same kind of parallel. Well, and so, the, so it comes back to that question, well, why would he do that? Mm. Right? And we see as, as you go through the dialogue... You know, he he's, you know, gives them the twenty questions. Your spies, and, and, and that whole thing. And then he he says, "I'm going to put you to the test." Right? And um, there's two ideas uh, that that the sages talk about with, with respect to this, um, which I find I find fascinating. One is that, uh, or I guess it's really kind of one one theme here, but it's. It's he wanted he, he wanted to test their hearts because yeah. his concern was this: <clears throat> I need to know if if the hatred that they exhibited towards me was it because they had a problem with the fact that I'm going to rule over them, you know, or was it because they hated me because they resented my mother? Because my our father loved my mother more than he loved their mother, so is is there is there is it the Rachel resentment thing as to why they you know lashed yeah, out against yeah. me you know, and that's why he plays the whole Benjamin scenario out because yeah. he says he, he basically has them uh, you know he, he does pins, the whole he thing pins it all on Benjamin yeah and, he, and and pins it on Benjamin because if it's if if their motive. If their hatred towards him was because of the resentment against their mother, then they would have sold Benjamin down the down the river too. Yes, but they didn't because Judas steps to the plate and says, "No, no, no, it's on me." Yeah, right. And so the, the whole theme there, he's he, he disguises himself yeah. until he can test yeah. what's really in their he's, heart. He's trying to discern and look at the response. I like that. Right. And interesting, as far as your comment about the. Um, leaking the Messiah to Joseph here. It's intriguing that his accusation is that the land's nakedness have you come to see. And I don't know exactly the Hebrew word's the same, but it reminds me so much of the prophets where God is telling the people of Israel he compares their sin to nakedness. And he says, like, I'm going to destroy your, um, your I'm going to take away your famine and other types of things and expose Everyone your nakedness. Everyone will see your nakedness. Yeah. It's almost like, um, it's almost in a sense it's like, it's like a remez here. And it's almost like Joseph's testing the brothers in the same way, almost like God, even today, in, in hiding the Messiah, is testing Israel to see, are we past this yet? Have we gotten past the things that you did before that were the problem? And obviously, God knows the answer to that. But it's just interesting, again, that sort of almost a parallel. Yeah, that's good. And, and I think that uh, just as when God asks any man a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants us to really know the answer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, is this for Joseph or is it for the boys? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, a couple of things. First, I like the sages bring back um, the guy that Joseph met with when he was looking for his brothers. 
They say mm. he recognized him when he was about to tell them that he was him. But then Gabriel, whoever it was, came back and was like, wait, don't do that. Yeah, keep your mouth shut. The same guy. Yeah. Mm. Then also they, um, they compare Joseph with Job because it says um, they didn't recognize him or whatever. And it's the same phrase used in Job when his three friends come and from afar, they raise their eyes and they see Job, but they don't recognize him. And they say that's because Job had like, changed because of all the affliction, uh, yeah. Um, sort of a vice versa in this case because Joseph had sort of risen out of slavery. Right, right. But so then they do different. recognize him when they come close. And we see later on when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, the first thing he says is, come close mm-hmm. to me, brothers, and then they recognize Yeah, him. it's good. Very cool. Good, drawing near. Okay. Did, uh, did you say anything new for the first time? In uh, verse 17, I didn't realize he put him in jail for three days. Mm-hmm. When I see three days... And I see jail, prison, pits, yeah. you know, belly tomb. belly tomb, you know, any of that stuff. I mean, it just, bam, three days? Three days? Yeah, that's good. Well, and, and he throws them in the slammer for three days, and, and we see when you get down to um, verse 21, and they said to one another, right, so they're in the, the slammer, and they start, they start having this conversation, surely we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen, therefore this distress has, has, become, has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, did not I tell you, don't sin against the boy, and so forth. So, well, yeah, don't jump ahead too quick. What, what do you think made them come to that conclusion? I don't get it. I mean, to me, that's a complete... I missed the segue, guys. Was there a bus here and I missed the stop? What happened? We came down here to get grain. You're spies. We're not spies. We've never been spies. Never been spies. We're, you know, we're the sons of one guy. We're honest men. Never been spies. In jail for three days. Well, you know, we're in jail because of what we did to our brother. I don't get it. Well, I, I think uh, this, this karma. There it is, karma. Okay. They, I think they carried with them whether guilt. they wanted to admit it or not. They carried with them a tremendous amount of guilt over that because they knew what it did to the to their father. Yeah. Right. And they they knew when they sold him to the Ishmaelites where he was going. You bet. They were, he was going to Egypt. Yep. Now they're here in Egypt, and now they're being thrown in the in the in the slammer, and they're getting in. And so I. I think it's very easy for them to connect the dots. But what's what's the dot that really, really made it come home for them? What started them thinking about that? I think you, you, you danced on it. Look first ahead. Back up two verses. Bring your youngest brother to me. I think that's what caused them to start thinking about it. There is no way he's going to let Ben come down here. It ain't going to happen. We can't do that. You know, oh man, you know, you know speaking of Ben, we're probably here because of what we did to the other brother of the the other brother of this the other son of the same woman. Good. I think that's the key, and that's that's why they're oh man. And but carrying that guilt all that time. Just to sum up that up. Yeah. So, the, so the point here, though, is you see. I mean, they're standing. It says they're you know it says they're having this conversation presumably in Hebrew, right? And and they don't know that Joseph understands them because there's an interpreter, right? So they're having they're beginning to repent and rem- and confess and repent yeah. their sin towards Yosef while they're standing in front of Yosef, yeah. not not knowing even knowing that he's Yosef. Yeah, 
that's kind of cool. Don't you mm-hmm. don't you see an omniscient, omnipresent God standing right beside you when you finally decide to repent? Mm-hmm. And so shouldn't shouldn't we be remorseful about our sin in the same way as these guys at all times? I mean, I'm old enough now. I really don't want God to teach me patience, put me in jail so that I remember my sins. I'd much rather just, you know, lay it out. Lord, I'm ready. Holy cow. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, a question for... The women? No. For the <laughs> for anyone in here, I guess. Does... Uh, is there is there repentance for not since they haven't recognized Joseph? You're just a troublemaker. You are just a troublemaker. No, I, well, I, comments before I open my mouth and put my foot in. No comment. No comment. Yes. Well, I'll just. I'll just say what the text says here. Okay. Are they all in jail? Yes. And then they start to confess and repent in jail. Well, sort of as they come out of it. Well, he says, "I'll, t- I'll, I'll take, I'll keep one. You guys right. go home." But he says that after he overhears them starting to. No, actually, it's right before. Right before he says, "Do this and live. I fear God, etc., etc., etc. Bring your youngest brother to me, see so words be verified, and you'll not die." And they did so. And then it says, "They then said to one another, oh, man, we blew it. This is happening to us because of our brother, and you know, etc., etc." Oh, uh. So it's right after that. Oh yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I, stand, I, I, stand I, I don't. I don't think either way. I mean, well, because I, 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 I was the point I was going to make, but that I may have just misread it here was that because he he detains all of them, but then at the end, it, but then he he lets them all go and holds Shema. Uh, and I was thinking, but I think I just got. I think I got it out of order. I was thinking that. He did that after he heard that yeah. starting to repent. I, I think the text is clear. The ruler is working on the hearts of his people. He is looking for a response. Why? Because he is bringing things to bear in their lives to cause their repentance. God is working in our lives today. He is sovereign. And he desires repentant hearts. He desires that we turn to him in all regard. Amen. And I don't, I don't have a problem with the fact that my God is sovereign. He is in charge. And if my repentance is because he has first started to work on me, like throwing me in jail, I'm okay with that. doesn't bother me. I don't know that repentance is ever for naught. But that's a different theological question. Yes. Um, this is Jonathan. Speaking now, everyone. Just um, one thing we talked about last night at the Shabbat table was though this is the beginning of repentance, Joseph still didn't reveal himself until Judah Excellent. does expresses unconditional love for Benjamin. He he until he got the response for which he was looking. I agree. Right, which is kill me. Which is take my life. That's instead, it. Which that's is it. Exactly what we're supposed to do, and that's what Messiah did for us. So as we emulate yes. him, yes. And and this is the cool thing. Uh, and bear with me. It's a little not mystical, but I have to kind of make things. We do mystical. Okay. I mean, it's yeah. a point that it's not. Yeah. So Joseph marries a Egyptian bride. Uh, so you see the, the combination of Messiah and and the bride that that is the goyim that are attached to them as well. Yes. So there's that picture. There's also the picture of 
Benjamin, who is the, bro- the blood brother, who has never forsaken Joseph, because he was he was too young to partake in the betrayal. So, and uh, just like uh, how the son of the right hand and is uh, and. Or, Benjamin never bowed the knee to Esau as well. So, so, so we have the the, the idea that he's 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 not this part pure of pure line. Exactly. He, in other words, could be the messianic Jewish believer who hasn't forsaken Yeshua uh, and because A, he's, he's 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 still new, but he's part of the family. And it's not until Judah uh, accepts that and is willing to to, to say, okay. You know, it's, it's willing to show unconditional love for Benjamin. That's when Messiah reveals himself. I love it. I love it. And I think that, going back to the repentance question, um, the traditional belief on how repentance works is that you make Teshuvah like they're doing here. They're, they're expressing it, they're confessing it. But the Teshuvah, in the same way that like Abraham's faith was not proven until he offered Isaac, not that he didn't have the faith, but it didn't have that expression. Right. Teshuvah is only really expressed when you have the same opportunity to do the exact same sin you did before and you choose not to. Mm-hmm. So in this case, that's kind of what Joseph is waiting for. He's going to put them in a place where they have an opportunity to do the exact same thing that they had a chance to do before with no real consequence to doing the same thing they did before. And now he's going to see if they've really changed. Because so, And that goes back to the idea of talking about is repentance ever for not. And repentance is not true repentance is never for not but simply saying I feel bad I'm sorry yeah. may not be true repentance does everybody see the parallel does everybody see how it's the same deal the brothers are going to leave one of their own in the boor in, 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 the, in, the, in the prison they're going to forsake him that's what they did now you got one of the brothers there are they just going to forsake him that's the bottom line. There's, they've got the opportunity now to play it out and do it right this time. And there's a remez here, both with leaving Shimon behind the first time and then coming back with Benjamin. And, and that remez goes back to Cain and Abel because Cain, you know, kills his brother. Mm-hmm. And then when God says, where's your brother... I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so this is kind of so they you know, so they had that that scenario, right? They they in essence killed Yosef. I mean, they didn't literally, right, right. but they rejected him and kind of in and kind of took that approach. Right. Am I my brother's keeper? Right. And so Yosef is kind of creating this uh, opportunity. Again, to try what's in their hearts, and let's see what the response is the next time. Because yeah. they could have left Shimon there and just never gone back, right? You know, uh, or you know, when they came back for Shimon to get more food, and then the whole thing with Benjamin, they could have they could have sold him down the down the down the river too. So, yeah. but the second time they sh- they they said, "No, I am my brother's." Amen. That's exactly right. So good. Okay. I want to. Uh, I think we've milked that pretty good. Um, one quick question. Well, I've got a, a, a more poignant question, but one quickie. How many brothers does Joseph have that are there in front of him? Until Benjamin shows up. Right. So he's got ten, ten, ten to choose from. Why Shimon? Uh, I think I, I'm going to talk about that. He's, he's pretty dangerous. He, he 
Kill everybody. Simon the knife, boy, and he's ready to go. He's a cutter. I better detain that guy. Yeah, they said they need to separate Simon and Levi. Yeah, or Simon and Garfunkel. Either way, there needs to be a separation, right? Gentler brother. That's right. This is going to hurt anybody. Is this the first instance where you take a violent person and put him in prison to get him out of society? Ooh, yeah. And and. Not for punishment, but to try and yeah, yeah, yeah. reprogram it. Yeah, reprogram. <laughs> uh, so he comes out a knitter, you know. Yeah, they got. <laughs> I'm still working through in my own mind exactly how this fits in, but the thought that I had, which we kicked around a little bit last night, was, you know, okay, why Shimon, right? Yeah. And and Shimon, uh, the name Shimon is is shares the same root with Shema, right? To hear and obey. That's why he was named Shimon, because God heard Lord, right? right, right? Yeah. So, so th- this may be a, a little bit, a little bit of a stretch, but it was just the thought that occurred to me was why Shimon? Because if Shimon is kind of the picture of of the brother who hears and obeys, right? But yeah, he still doesn't recognize who Yosef is. But so I don't. I'm not sure how that fits in. But instead of character, of, maybe the name. I right. like it. I like it. Good. All right. Um, take, take your mind out of this portion now for just a second. Let me, let me paint a picture for you and see if I can uh, get you to think about somebody that we completely overlook in this story every year. So I want you to go back to um, Abraham. Abraham has one son, Isaac. And he wants a son that's married. So he wants to get a bride for his wife. What does he do? All right. So Eliezer or Eleazar is sent. How would you describe his character? Tell me about this guy. From what you know of the story. Trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Probably top shelf trustworthy. What else? He's faithful to his master. He's absolutely faithful. Loyalty is second on the list. He's prayerful. He's a prayerful man. He appears to be a man of God. But he recognizes it's the God of Abraham. So he recognizes that he would like to claim it as his God, but he always calls him the God of Abraham. God of my master. The God of my master. All right, now, you've got this picture. Was he successful? Yes. Yes. He was successful. He was successful because of his character and because God was using him. It's so obvious. Would you you agree? Now... Look back to your text. And I want you to notice the man that we constantly overlook. I'm going to flip around just a little bit uh, so that you can see it. But uh, verse uh, 43.19. 43.19. 43.19. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. But I just want to give you this guy. Okay? So they've been... Uh, they've, they've come back. Oh my goodness. The money's, the money's in the sack. Uh, and now, now we've been called to dinner. There's a little problem. So they go right here. They approached the man who supervised Yosef's house and spoke to him at the house's entrance. This is Torah-like. On your way to be judged, right? On the way, try and make peace, right? That's interesting. That's what the Torah says. You want to make peace with the one before you get before the judge. It's interesting what this man says. 
you know, it's like, holy cow, we found the money in the thing, in the bag, and, and you know, and we've never been spies. <laughs> what does he say? Don't worry. Everything's okay for you. That's not really what he said. What did he say? Peace be with you. So he's got peace here that he's offering to these men. Now, who is it that follows out afterwards and catches these guys on their way out of town and walks through every single bag? Who is it that put the silver goblet into Benjamin's bag? This same guy. Who is it that followed them out and walked through and said exactly what his master told him to say to exactly that one. Do you get it? This is the same deal, guys. This faithful servant, this supervisor, as mine puts it, is supervising the household for his master. And I think underlying here what we should notice is how we should be as stewards for our master all the time. His character, his actions are absolutely unquestioned by his master. His master absolutely knows because of that loyalty and extreme faithfulness that this servant will do exactly what he was told. He is trustworthy to the point where exactly what was supposed to be done is done. And he is a man of God. But he keeps referring back to his master. Oh, you need to talk to my master and all of that. I just question, as you read through here when you get home, is there something here about this master, this this supervisor, that perhaps we just have overlooked all this time? I think so. He speaks Hebrew. You, you're doing right, he does. Oh. It's Joseph. <laughs> oh, no, it's not Joseph. It's Joseph's super. Uh, it's it's Joseph's servant. It's his number one guy. It's his steward. It's just like Eliezer of Damascus. The midrash said there's because he's a, he's a gentile. Well, the, the midrash says it could be Manasseh. Yeah, of course, right. Which makes sense to me. I think going back to the multi generational faithfulness, there's three Jews in all of Egypt possibly, and now there's two more. But Joseph has taught his sons how to speak his language. Yes. And thus, that's that's why the interpreter is probably this guy as well. And it's Manashe. Could be. Interpreting for his father. Could well. be. So, and, so, and if he's the only guy that they can speak to, so they, that would make sense that they come up to, to, to his house as well. And he's the one that's having all the action with him so he can communicate. So exactly. That makes sense as well. I just think that if you look at everything... Uh, you know, why should my master say such words as these and, and stuff like that? He just, um, th- this guy is just a perfect picture of exactly how we should react. You, then you, yes, sir. Yeah, the uh, servant being exactly what we're supposed to be as ambassadors of reconciliation in Yeshua. And I just realized that they spoke the words of their master. Yes. And the contrast to that would be Yakazi. I think, mm-hmm. who kind of tried to do a side deal or on his own, out of authority, and it was a disaster. Yeah. How much more for us that we good. mix in good. so-called worldly wisdom with our mission to speak the truth? Cool. So Very good. Yeah. Yeah. You first. Yeah. Well, and, and not to not to rehash, you know, uh, the previous partial with Eliezer, but uh, in in that 
in that parsha, you have you have Abraham sends Eliezer to go find a bride for his son. Right. And we know, of course, the drosh is Isaac is another type of Messiah. Messiah. Yes. Abraham is a type of the father. father. Eliezer is like the Spirit of God that's been sent. I like it. To draw, to do the Master's bidding yes. and, to, and to go in that portion to go find to Draw the bride. Okay. I see the Trinity is like truly Jewish. Yeah. So, I like that. That's so right. you have, you have and, and to the extent you have this parallel with Eliezer, yes. he's like, again, he's, yeah. he's like uh, the Ruach being sent to do the bidding. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly, it's good. It's good. All right. Well, thank you for uh, uh, indulging me there. Um, did you notice, by the way, that uh, in the sixth reading at forty-three sixteen, Yosef saw Benjamin with them. He said to the supervisor of his house, once again the same guy, "Bring the men into the house. Give orders to slaughter an animal and to prepare a meal, for the men will eat with me at lunch." Now, this, of course, was not meant that they would eat with him, but with him. That is, they wouldn't be at his table. They would be there in the same room with him. And, of course, that's how it, it actually ends up uh, being done. But you got the... Uh, I, w- I was just thinking about uh, when I'm actually eating properly. Um, there's not a lot on the plate. Um when some of the younger men are visiting our home and eating, there seems to be a lot of food on their plate. I don't know that it's five times as much as mine, but there's a lot of food on their young plates. But um, it's interesting, as you get down to verse 32, they set for him separately, and for them separately, and for the Egyptians who ate with him separately. Why? And I thought about the Apostle Peter. I thought about Acts chapter 10 immediately. What's the deal? What, what, what happens with Peter later on when Paul rebukes him, when the Judaizers come up? Yeah, Galatia, I thought the same thing. They're not going to eat together. They have a tradition. A tradition to, this, to deny table fellowship with those in Yeshua is an Egyptian one. Well, that, here it is. That's right. And so the the, um, the tradition of the uh, of the Jews after the diaspora and so sensitive to Gentile idolatry turns out that's Egyptian behavior. They're, they're doing exactly what was happening. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I mean that's a that's a great yeah. deal that we should look at, right? And and bring forward. And when we're talking to the Orthodox Jew, I think it's important for us to bring that up. Yeah. You know, eating with Gentiles was a problem. Shemai and Hillel were arguing about that, right? Hmm. You guys were concerned about that idolatry thing. I can understand that, but do you realize that that whole anti-Semitic deal or anti... What's the opposite of anti-Semitism? When you're pro No, when you're when you're when you're Shemitic. Anti-Goyism. Anti-Goyic. Yeah. Anti-Goyic thing. You know. Because here it is, it says the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. Oh, because it's an abomination to the Egyptians. Because, um, because, like Jonathan is pointing out, there's only really three Hebrews in Egypt. Now there's ten more. But but there aren't very many Hebrews in the entire world. Yes. And it's not like they're living in Egypt yet. So 
What do they mean? It's Where are they bumping into these Hebrews? They, how did it become loathsome? I mean, Abraham went down to Egypt. Well, they had a really bad experience with Abraham going down to Egypt. They yeah. did, but it just, it's kind of, it's odd to me that already that would be the case when they really don't deal with them very often at all. And, and I find it interesting that they received them like that because Joseph is a Hebrew, but he's pretending to be an Egyptian. So he really has to be at his own table because the Egyptians don't want to eat with him because he's a Hebrew, and then he can't sit with the Hebrews because he's supposed to be an Egyptian. So he has to have one. Which is actually interesting if you think about, again, the parallel between Messiah and the other stuff. Joseph starts dropping hints here. Oh, yeah, it's big time. He, he, he puts the, the brothers in numerical order. But let's drop a bigger hint. The sages say that when he tells his servant to go prepare the meat, uh-huh. that he prepares it kosherly. Yeah. Because and and to be fair, at the very least, you can argue that kosherly. Yeah. yeah. At the very least, he had to have prepared it in the way the brothers knew it wasn't being offered to some Egyptian god. Yes. So, um, in a sense, it's almost like the, the brothers have to be thinking, "That's interesting. This guy, like, at least respects us." Which, if I'm thinking about tying in Messiah with with today. Um, it's almost the same thing. It's like now we're starting to get to a point for the first time in 2,000 years, you know, Jewish teachers and people who, who know the scriptures are looking at Yeshua and they're going, yeah, he was Jewish. We can see yeah, that. We can work with that. You know, we can see that, yeah, he would have he would have kept kosher. Okay, fine. They don't see him yet as king. Right. They don't see him as Messiah, but it's almost like the same thing here. It's like there's just enough to get them going. Wait a minute. This yeah. is a little odd. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful picture of what's happening now and what will happen, and ultimately. And also give you some encouragement that just because, you know, just because people like the rabbis that we know are beginning to see some of these things, but they're not coming all the way around, doesn't mean that that's where it's going to end. But God is still working. And he was working at that table. But you bring up a good point. And I. I I, I can only come up with one answer. Juliana's question was, there really aren't that many Hebrews. How could we have this loathsome tradition that's already there? The sage's response was, and I'll read it from the scripture with their commentary inserted. Could not eat with uh, food with the Hebrews because it is an abomination to the Egyptians since Hebrews eat the animals which Egyptians worship. Curious. That could be lamb. one thing. One. They eat lamb. They worship. Yeah, they eat cows. Big, big on the cow. You know, but even if it's not that, because then they couldn't eat with anybody, right? Could it be that they were just absolutely so sold out for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they made it clear? that they could not do certain things. They could not participate in certain things. They couldn't say certain things. They couldn't do certain things. They couldn't eat certain things. That their halakha, whenever they bumped into a Jew, it just started to spread. These guys are unique. These guys are different. These guys are set apart. Another word for that? Holy. If that's the case, then it would explain how very quickly they could get this kind of a reputation so that, you know, we, we can't eat with us. We, we but cannot. But Abraham seems to be well known. Like, the whole region seems to know who Abraham is. Well, not only that, but he's Isaac. Wealthy, he's the powerful, fear of Isaac he's, was known, right? He's wealthy, he's powerful. And you almost think about that whole, like, example thing. You know, if everyone knows that Abraham's wealthy and powerful, they know that he's serving God. And he, by the way, he's like the only one in the whole world that's serving only one God. Right. And it's almost like, um, 
and presumptively it appears they had a pretty high standard in the way that they're approaching to God. These Egyptians, they want to live it up. They don't want anybody even pretending like they feel condemnation from sure. them. It's like, those guys think they're better than us. Yeah, you know, sure they think they're it. chosen. Yeah. I, I think, and just one more comment, to, just to make sure that we don't believe that there was only 10 Hebrews on the planet. Right? I mean, you've got 300 and some odd that were in Abraham's household. They all got circumcised, right? You've got several generations later, you've got all their servants. The Torah says they were to be a part of it as well. They were to be circumcised. They were to be in the faith. So you, you may have a goodly number of folks that are claiming to be Hebrew. Well, and I, I don't think just because we don't have necessarily any specific additional instances recorded in the Torah that, you know, I don't think you can assume that given that Canaan, you know, is right there in close proximity to Egypt and it's a crossroads, right, for yeah. trading and whatever. Yeah. They, can definitely they, they definitely had interaction with Egyptians right. uh, beyond just the things that are recorded with respect to the patriarchs and their children. So. Yeah. Yes. Well, I just think also next week when Joseph says uh, to his brothers, go to Pharaoh and tell him your, your shepherds because that'll just take them off. Yeah. So if you're at a table, you're going to talk business, right? So I can see these Egyptians with their eye makeup and their you know, shirtless, you know, with gold bracelets. So no hair. what do you do? And these big hairy notes. <laughs> Semitic guys with turbans and beard, you know, like oh, I'm a shepherd, and then and then this conversation goes down. We work with the goat. To Juliana's point, I, it it's the same thing today, though, because I think it's one tenth of one percent of the population of the world is Jewish, but everybody knows how knows they are. all about them. Most people like them. Yeah, I mean, it's almost it's like the whole Arab Jewish conflict it's virtually ridiculous yeah. there are like how many over a billion Arabs they have like 28 countries in the Middle East and a little tiny sliver of nothing is Israel yeah. and they all hate the Jews that's, right. that's really it, bizarre it cannot be financial geographical it can't, it can't be anything other than God chose them. Nobody likes it. Exactly. All right, final comments. It is that time, oh. folks. Oh, yes, I beg your pardon, son. Yes. I, I used asked if we had seen things for the first time. For the first time, yes. Um, and I had. Really? Yeah. What is it? It's actually really crazy. Uh, it's a little further back, but it was when uh, Joseph put the money in the sacks, and then they all left. And then, like, they're. Fear and trembling. And one guy finds the money, but I didn't realize that no one else decided to look in their sack. They were all like, oh no! And then they just kept walking. And it wasn't until they got to Jacob's house, yeah. and they were like, oh, that happened to all of us. <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> I didn't see that either. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Anything else? First time, final comments. First time, I, I didn't realize that they all got intoxicated. They got drunk with them, yeah. Yeah, yeah they got drunk with them. <laughs> Once again, the Bible not condoning something, but just describing it. <coughs> Lynn, did we pick up on what we were going to come by and see, or did we finish that? We're good, right? I think so. No, it, it, about what I asked about yes, ma'am. Um, the only thing I wondered was about, um, you know, he, he dressed as an Egyptian. Yes. So he must have caught his beard. He must have... 
yeah. you know, put on the trappings of an Egyptian and the fact that they didn't recognize him. So I'm wondering how that came from him sticking to the Holocaust. Well, um, he definitely was a slave. So, you know, if you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. Um, but there's very little halakha about wearing things or anything like that. Cutting of the beard, marring it. I think you just did a study on that. If it isn't there already, you seem to be okay. If it's there, now we got a problem. How do we get where I don't, you know, that kind of thing? It can be done, though, because you see Jews all the time who are clean shaven. Like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, what, the only, the only thing outwardly that we would, you know, be, be questioning is his eating practices, you know, and I think Daniel's a pretty good example of, from the get-go, you know, I got this line that I can't cross, dress me whatever you want, I'm all into the eye makeup and the funny underwear, but, you know, what we eat is, is a big deal here, because God says I can't eat that, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, sir. Did you say something? Did you read? Oh, well, I was just going to comment that, um, again, just in, in this whole drosh of Yosef being, being Messiah, it's, it's a, it fits very you know, nicely with where, where we're at with Messiah, right? Because all the pictures know, Christianity has dressed up the Messiah like a Gentile. Blonde, blue hair. I mean, so, blonde, blue eyes. That's right. Toga, toga hair. Jesus. Uh, I'm sure one. there's somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but you bet. Yeah, he, he looks like a Gentile. Right. You know, it's... How many of you have, uh, now that you're in this walk, have, have actually bumped into someone, and when you said that Yeshua was, A, that his name is Yeshua, not Jesus. Second, that you know for a fact he wore Zitzit and ate kosher and kept the Sabbath, did not worship on Sunday. Did not have long hair. And did not have long hair. You know, how, you know, how many of you have bumped into that already where people are like, are you nuts? What are you smoking? Right? Okay. Several of you. Good. Yes, sir. You're saying that it was obvious it wasn't condoned that they got intoxicated. Correct. Did they not have to get intoxicated to where they didn't realize that hey, the silver guy was into his bag? Well, I, don't, I don't think their baggage was with them while they were eating. Because it's probably on the on the dungeons. Okay. Um, but it is not condoned to be, and don't, mis- don't mistake the fact that the Bible is very clear. There's nothing wrong with drinking, Absolutely. but getting drunk is not a good idea and is not condoned. We should be led by the Spirit, not by the wine. But a merry heart from wine, it makes God's heart glad. Well, to Isaac's point, you could also argue it didn't go so well for the brothers. At yeah, that point. yeah, that's a good point. Yes, ma'am. I, I do just want to point out yes. that it does not appear that they did some drinking and driving. Okay, didn't looks, go near the donkeys. That's right. It looks like they spent the night there. Good. They were Slept it off. Hotel rooms. Got it. I actually have the word hotel in mind, actually. Yeah, when they, you know, when they, they go out and they make the stop, you know, they're at the hotel. Um, I, I, the one, I'll close with this. Um, the one thing I saw, besides the one I mentioned, um, was that they're worried about becoming slaves. <laughs> He's going to make us slaves. Did you catch the rest of the phrase there? And our donkeys. And our donkeys. <laughs> and I'm like, they're all concerned about the donkeys. I know, it's so cute. What is up with that? Where is that? He throws them in jail, right? Where, where does he say that? 
Well, it's like the, the ten donkeys, the ten commandments, just like the ten animals. Oh, oh, now we're really gay. We, we have never been spies, neither have our donkeys. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Good Father, we thank you for the Word of God and for this fabulous and un- unbelievably detailed parallel with Yeshua, our Messiah. And pray that, uh, that you would sear it in our hearts with such clarity that we would freely, openly, and without care proclaim the name of Yeshua and the picture that you provided of his work and his methods and his return, his exaltation to those that we come in contact with. We thank you for, uh, for the people of God that have preserved the Word of God for so long that we might have it in our hands, the freedom we have now. We do pray for, uh, for Rick, Chief Master Sergeant, and, uh, and pray, Father, that you would protect him and care for his family while he's away and that you would use us and prompt us in that regard. And we thank you for our time together where we can study the Word of God in freedom in this country while we still can and proclaim the name of Yeshua HaMashiach openly. We pray all these things in His name. Amen. 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 Thank you, folks.